0: Welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of a Vietnam Podcast. My name is Neil McKay. I've been living in Vietnam since 2016 and hosting this podcast since 2019. I wanted to know more about the people that lived in Vietnam, both local and foreigners, and share their story. We now share stories from people around the world. My guest today is Hungarian Vietnam currently living in Saigon to reconnect with her roots and explore her life from a more creative perspective. She's a life purpose coach and fellow podcaster, hosting the Creators, the Creators in Vietnam podcast with previous guests, Thue Nguyen. In this episode, we'll explore the connection between Hungary and Vietnam, what made her decide to reconnect with her roots and the challenges and excitement of working as a creator and how to find meaning in whatever we do. My guest today is Moni Le.
1: Hi, hi Neil. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here and, yeah, talk to you again. (laughs) It's actually the second time we talk, or the third, and two of them are through a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you so much. So for anyone who doesn't know yet, I was on the Creators in Vietnam podcast a couple of months ago, which was awesome with Thoese and Moni both of them on a Vietnam podcast. And we've just interviewed two. Thank, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: So first of all, that, my first question is what I said in the introduction. I've, I want to know more about the connection between Hungary and Vietnam because it's something I was not aware of at. And then when we first met, you kind of told me a bit more about it. I, I now know more Hungarian, Vietnamese people. And there's definitely a lot of these countries Especially Eastern European countries that I wasn't aware had such a deep connection with Vienna. With a brief history of that.
1: Okay, just so you know, like I don't have the full-on detailed history about the connection, but I know kind of the surface-level connection between the two. So sorry, Neil. There's a slow internet connection. I wonder if it's okay. It's so for me. Okay. So uh, the connection between the two is simply as that, Hungary was part of the Soviet bloc. And back then, during the, when Soviet Union was still there and complete, there were connections between the different socialist countries. So Vietnam and other socialist countries like uh, Czech Republic, Hungary, even Slovakia and all of those, Russia. And they had a chance to actually travel in between. So my father had a chance to go to v- go to Hungary to study. And my mom had a chance to go to Hungary to, to work. And basically that was the connection between the two. So they were like kind of an exchange in between. I guess it's for economical reasons, also for... And yeah, that's it. I... I don't know the full, very detailed history, how the connection is exactly established, but that's all I know. I just know that it's Erasmus Student Network
0: for socialist countries. (laughs) So was there a big migrant community in Hungary from Vietnam? Not so much.
1: It's very small, actually, in Hungary. It's only a few hundred thousand people. So they are so much more in Poland, for example, or Czech Republic. But in Hungary, it's also a very small economy. So I think that's the reason not many Vietnamese went to Hungary.
0: The thought, Vietnamese people were like, we don't, wanna, we don't want to go to Hungary, we'll, we'll go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I'm actually very happy that my parents chose Hungary. Um, Hungary is really close to my heart. I consider it as one of my homes. And One yeah, of your homes I I love you have I have maybe two or three homes. I think I was still oh, sorry. <clears throat> I think I would still feel home in the Netherlands when I lived five years. And I also start to feel at home in Vietnam as well. And for me I realized that the concept of home is not necessarily about the location, but more about who, where do I have people that I feel connected with if I feel the connection with the people in those countries that for me it's already kind of home
0: yeah I mean so it I make sense no that makes complete sense I mean I've, I left Scotland at 20 and I've had several homes since then as well and it's just kind of yeah it's always being based on on people rather than a place you know so no absolutely and so and a bit of a to add a bit of cheesiness too but you know my wife and i our wedding song uh, is a song by i've forgotten his name now off the top of my head i should know that but the song is called um, home which and the, the main line is home is wherever i'm with you and so even as a married couple we've moved about a lot and so it's it's kind of the yeah i mean changed several times with each other but as long as so but it still ties into that same thing it's wherever you're with people make the home right
1: yeah, exactly. And I learned to define home that way rather than in terms of identity. I used to have an identity crisis, like "Oh my God, where do I belong?" But I think how many foreign Vietnamese have that. And I made it made so much sense to me to redefine really home in terms of the people. So I don't feel like I'm not belong to anywhere, but this way I belong to so much more places.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's Thuy said something similar as well about. And it's something many guests have, we talked about with other guests, is the, this identity crisis because something that I've learned over the course of this podcast and just interviewing so many people being from Scotland, living all around the world, not being exposed, obviously, to the Vietnamese community at all, really. It's, it's incredible how massive the Vietnamese diaspora is and spread across the world. And it's something we talked about as well with Tracy Nguyen-Mang as well from the the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. Do you think that now is a really a time that we're seeing an explosion in visibility of the Vietnamese diaspora? Or they're starting to come to the forefront doing so many amazing things? Or, or what we talked about is do we just notice it because we make podcasts about vietnam what what are your thoughts
1: maybe actually you are right that we notice it more because we make a podcast about it and i notice more about because maybe search a little bit more about it but i don't necessarily kind of seek for it so for me i rather seek for personality of the person rather than in terms of identity so i i myself don't have that um, kind of Uh, pain in the family. I mean, I have a different pain in the family compared to uh, the people who had to be, who had to become refugees after, during the war. My parents actually like the kids after the war. So they were born during the war and they were growing up when the war started to end. So they, they lived in hardship and then they moved to, to Hungary for economical reasons. And not because of of the war per se. I mean, after the war Vietnam in Vietnam, there was nothing. It was poor. There were barely any jobs. So they had their own struggles. But I myself, I didn't hear stories from my parents like, oh, Vietnam is a shitty place. I should not go back. And so they they didn't have that. They always told me like, you have to respect your own heritage. You have to be, you have to remember that you're Vietnamese. And we went back to Vietnam every few years. So I always had this kind of connection with Vietnam, but I, of course, I also had a little bit of craving of connecting with people like my background, like overseas Vietnamese, but I didn't search for it so intentionally. I just came to Vietnam and I reconnected with other Vietnamese like me and I'm like, oh, this is great. It feels. It feels good, so I don't see whether like they they are more in the forefront or not compared to before. I just see it more uh, okay. than even Vietnam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but this, this is really interesting, though. So uh, kind of uh, forget how young you are, because most of the guests that we've had on and we've talked about this and, and probably helped some of these episodes. Many of the guests, their parents left because of the war. We've interviewed many people whose parents left as refugees. And you're one of the first kind of Vietnamese overseas, I think that we've spoken to, that, the parents, that you're so young, that your parents are so young, that they actually left post-war, which does give a completely different perspective for you and your parents then.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they left Vietnam to support actually the family back home. And they they at the end like so whatever they did in hungary they did it all for the family for the bigger family and they always have a deep connection with vietnam no matter what yeah. and even now so that's why my story is a bit different compared to those who yeah. who left vietnam because of the war
0: and now, was something else i learned that the Vietnam immigration has happened in three waves. So the first wave was the the refugees from the war. Then we have the economic immigration, which your parents were obviously then part of that wave. And then now this third wave over the last 10 years has been an educational immigration where more and more Vietnamese people are leaving for overseas education. And then but many of them are coming back. So what was it like then growing up in Hungary, but coming back every three years? And you mentioned this identity crisis and reconnecting with your roots. Did you really feel like you were from two places, or did you like you mentioned as well? Obviously, Netherlands. But before we get to that, did you grow up feeling Hungarian or feeling Vietnamese? Like, what? How did that work?
1: I wanted wanted to be completely Hungarian. Oh. To be honest with you, <laughs> it was so the identity crisis is coming from that at home everything was so Vietnamese in terms of values it was very traditional my mom told me I should dress this way as a girl I should study well I have to work hard and all of that and when I went outside of the house everything was so much more fun like I I could do whatever like every everybody was so much more liberal in terms of how they view life like You have the freedom to choose what uh, you study, what, what are you doing? And when I saw other families uh, of my friends who are Hungarian and see the conversation between them and their parents, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much nicer. (laughs) Like, like, for example, every weekend, like my mom is like asking me like clean the house. Uh, why Why aren't you helping? You should help me to cook as a, Woman, you should know how to cook. So you have to follow me and then learn it by heart. And so when you have a family, you know how to take care of them. And my friends didn't have that. And I'm like, I want to be Hungarian. I don't want to be Vietnamese. <laughs> but obviously, I also picked up some of the Vietnamese values through my parents. For example, this collectivism, you know, carrying for each other, family is always first, and and also this kind of hardworking mentality, this resilience and uh, strength, so what was your question again? Like, yeah, like the identity crisis, yeah, that was the source of the identity crisis. Like, I want actually to be Hungarian and do whatever I want to do, but no, I go home and and everybody's telling me what
0: I should do (laughs) instead. And then well, then what was that like then when you would come to Vietnam every three years? Were you then getting the opposite of like, you're so Hungarian, you're not Vietnamese enough? Or, or how did your family react to it?
1: Actually, it was interesting because when I went to Vietnam, everybody just said, oh, she is not from Vietnam, so let her be, let her do her thing. or oh, she do it differently. It's okay, it's fine. She's a, a obviously Vietnamese, she's not like us. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I don't know. Uh, have to <laughs> do whatever my cousins are doing. I don't have to obey. And if I didn't follow the traditions the way I supposed to, I I was like, okay, uh, she
0: doesn't know. So uh, let her be. <laughs> yeah, you're given a free pass.
1: Yeah, I got to free pass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought it would have been the opposite. You know, like, the, like, oh, she doesn't know and then getting annoyed about it. So that's, that's pretty awesome.
1: Well, my, my parents would get annoyed by it. Like at home, I, my parents, like, you know, as a Vietnamese, you should do it this and this way. Don't do it other way. Other people would judge you and they would criticize you. And I'm like, okay, fine. And then when I go there and go to Vietnam and do it wrong, people are just like, oh, it's fine. She doesn't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what was Vietnam like then? Because obviously, as you mentioned, very poor, lots of poverty back then. What Vietnam? From I mean, so uh, you're in your mid twenties, is that right? So we're talking about you were coming here. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> older.
1: Thank you so much, Nia. To yeah. think that I'm in my mid twenties. <laughs> mid twenties, right? <laughs> I'm twenty nine, so I'm approaching thirty. So
0: almost. Worry. I'm 39 and approaching 40 so don't worry only gets better from here you have nothing uh to worry about so but you're so you're in your 20s I was right mid to late 20 um so we're talking about then so interesting because for you coming then here as a child was only 20 years ago which this is what makes me feel old that's still the 2000s the late nineties, early two thousands. So we're really not talking about that long ago. But yeah, Vietnam which is a country that's moving so quickly, growing so quickly, changing so quickly. Twenty years ago is probably like forty years and or well, fifty or sixty years of development is just fine to you. So what are your memories of Vietnam coming here? Were you coming to Saigon? Can you remember what it looked like? How has it changed?
1: So Actually, my family is not from Saigon. They are from Hue, which is the middle of the Vietnam. It's Mien Chung area. And I always went to my grandma's street in Hue whenever I came to Vietnam. And I spent a little bit of time in Hanoi, but most of my memories is in Hue. And I remember when I was very young, yeah, like five or six years old, I was still having showers in the well. <laughs> Like in the back backyard, there was a well and I had showers there with uh, my other cousins. It was actually really fun. English toilet was not a thing (laughs) at that time yet. And life was so simple. And the thing is, I really had a really good time. There were not many proper roads yet. I was like, uncle was taking me to school on a bike. Oh, I forgot to mention that I lived one and a half year in Vietnam when I was five years old. So those are the memories that I have. We were always just like looking for ways to make games. I don't know, whatever small things you can find around, you just make games out of it. And it was very simple, but still joyful life. I had to go to school also on Saturday. That was not fun, <laughs> but <laughs> in general, it was for me a good memory to remind myself that I was happy even though we didn't have much. And now that we have so much, it's actually, I learned to appreciate so much more just because of that
0: experience. Mm. You know, that's amazing. And I love that about kids. Eh? Kids are, well, it's um, not, we're all, when we were old kids, it was so much fun how you can just make a game out of anything. I remember during one one of the many lockdowns we had looking out the window in the apartment below and they have a little garden there and the kids were just playing a game with flip-flops and they were just trying to hit an empty bottle of water with a flip-flop and it was whoever hit the bottom one and they were just having the most fun and I was like man kids are awesome like you literally just need a flip-flop and a bottle of water and you as good to those.
1: Yeah exactly like even though like my family didn't have much money i was so much more happier for the smaller joys like one bag of chips for at that time 500 vietnamese dong (laughs) (laughs) and i felt like it was the most precious thing ever and of course i saw the evolution whenever i went back over the years to my grandma I saw that the, the house got modern, like, I don't know, fresher paints and uh, different objects, but somehow the traditions actually remain the same. So that's what I observed now over the years, that the surrounding is evolving, the environment, but the traditions, that strict traditions that is very peculiar in the Mianchong area is still there. I don't know, for example, my uh, grandma, you always have, you cannot enter the house from the altar. You have to go around. Or if you have a period, she said, like, don't walk in front of the altar. You're going to disrespect the ancestors. And, you know, stuff like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then, so tell me then, how did you end up in Holland? Oh,
1: Holland was a really nice, (laughs) nice, nice uh, five years of my life. I just went there to study first. I didn't thought I'm going to stay five years, but I ended up staying five years after my master's degree. I worked there at the company and I just had fun. I don't know if you've been in the Netherlands, but if you are young and you are in the Netherlands, (laughs) yeah. We're, We're gonna have the best <laughs> the time. <laughs> I was in Amsterdam.
0: Amsterdam. I've only ever been for a soccer match, so I'm not really spent much time. It was more like we went by bo- we went by bus, boat, bus, watched the soccer match, and then came back to Scotland. So I haven't actually I've been, but I've not really spent any time there. So what made you choose to study in the Netherlands? And-
1: I don't know. I often make choices based on how I feel instinctively, and I went there as a tourist, uh, just to check out how it is. And I felt like oh, I can actually live here. And when it came to applying uh, to university, okay, it sounds a bit lame, but the cheapest option was the Netherlands. <laughs> I mean, that's not lame at all. That makes perfect
0: <laughs> things. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's why I I'm like, okay. The price is only 1,500 euro for a year. Oh,
0: wow.
1: It's a nice place. There you go.
0: Yeah, No. Adam, what, age, <laughs> what age were you when you moved there?
1: I was 23. So, yeah, you can you you to
0: master's degree. you done your degree in Hungary already.
1: Yeah, in Hungary I did my bachelor degrees and then I moved to the Netherlands to do my master's. And life is fun. <laughs> when you are so young eh, in the Netherlands. Yeah, you have to go there to really experience it. The music scene, the party life, the nightlife, and also the way people see life over there is just like so much more pragmatic, so much more easygoing, and I really like that. And I felt like I really needed that for my own uh, personal exploration.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Because living close to your parents in Hungary, it's uh, I don't know if you know much about Asian parents, but they are very invested in their children's life.
0: <laughs> well, we've held this year and when we've talked about this with several guests as well. It's definitely, it's one of these, I think this is what we've talked about as well. There's so, you know, it's the thing about a stereotype is that most stereotypes are kind of true in a way and, and the stereotype of the, the Asian tiger parents is one that is definitely, definitely true.
1: Yeah. And to be honest, I also wanted to escape that a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: By moving abroad. It's yeah. a,
0: common, a common theme that, we, that we've heard of as well.
1: <laughs> it's It's hard. I like, you know, I can explain to you and other people who don't have such parents, but it's so hard for them to understand how does it really feel like I feel sometimes like my views are so different that I feel like talking to a wall whenever I talk about it with my parents (laughs) like it just is not going through (laughs) like there's a theater if you talk about working at a company having a good job and having a good salary Okay, everybody hears it, and they cheer on you. Good job, yes, keep going, then, you do a good job If I talk about oh, I want to pursue a more creative type of lifestyle and then do what I love to do and enjoy life, that as if like nothing been heard, like as if like I talked to no one, and then they were just like, Uh-huh, okay, <laughs> so when me you get the job
0: <laughs> oh it's we we talked about this just on the recent episode as well with Ben because he was similar. He wanted to pursue an artistic career and his parents didn't really get it. And I, I I wanted to mention it and then we got talking about something else. Is this oversimplifying it? But it almost feels like, you know, when I was growing up, I couldn't think of other than teacher, doctor, fireman. You know, you're like, you just don't... When I was a, a child, you can't think of any jobs. You don't know of any jobs. Or... or Asian parents just similar that they just don't know any other jobs. They're just very childlike. They're like, you're going to be an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, because they just don't, haven't heard of any other jobs. I know it's changing now. This is something me and Ben talked about. But is that oversimplifying it? Or is it just like, these are the five jobs? Because any, any student that I talk to, any Vietnamese person I talk to, is literally like five jobs that are expected to do lawyer, doctor, accountant. Teacher, I don't know like that's it,
1: I mean to understand their point of view that i it's, I also and with be, being understanding with them that they grew up in an environment where there were not much security mm-hmm. and in their view, those jobs create security financially and other aspects as well, according yeah. to them, but actually, most of the parents who forced this, they are not working for a company they They hustled in their own life. So my parents, they never worked for a company and they always hustled something. But then in their view, oh, I don't want my kids to suffer through that. So I want them to work at a company. But then I asked them like, hey guys, do you know how it feels like to work under someone? And they're like, no, but (laughs) it's going to be for you.
0: (laughs) That's too funny, right? That's too funny. It's kind of almost as well as just the whole grass is greener on the other side. Almost like we want this for you, but but we don't want it for ourselves. There, I don't know if you much, much. I think I think it's Ali Wong. I hate telling stories when I can't remember the details, but I think it's Ali Wong. And maybe it's Aziz Ansari because he's also got the ohesian parents. But they want they want you to be a doctor, right? And but then because they want you to give medical advice, but then when they want to get medical advice, they won't go and see a doctor. They'll go and see like the local medicine women or something like that. Like, no, no, the doctor charges too. That's right. The joke is they want them to be a doctor so they can make lots of money, but they won't go and see a doctor because it costs too much to go and see the doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's all about earning money.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm not, I don't want to be mean and I'm not making fun of Asian parents because I've, I do understand I've spoken to enough people and they just want the best for their kids uh, and there's a completely historic reason why they want their kids to take those jobs and have a good life but it still doesn't make it difficult for people it doesn't make it easy sorry for people like yourself who will and it's just a massive clash of this is what I mentioned earlier like Vietnam is developing at just an incredible rate and you can see that with the development of, of buildings and whatnot but even as a culture All right, so here's an example. I had to teach a class today, and this was a government-approved book, but the lesson was about demonstrations. And I felt really awkward teaching it because I'm like, students aren't allowed to demonstrate. And I had to teach them what a demonstration was, what a banner was, what a petition was. And this is, I I, I know for a fact, it's a government-approved textbook so it's being looked through with a fine tooth comb so it's obviously allowed to be taught but man i felt fucking awkward teaching it because i'm like this i mean they should know what these things are and this is the younger generation obviously know what these things are but it can't it can't do it
1: Yeah, honestly, what I experience now that there is a huge clash between generations and not only in overseas, but also in Vietnam itself. When I talk to the younger generation, like they are so innovative. They are so want to explore the world. They also so want to do something different than their parents. But the generational gap is so big, like because the war hasn't been a long time ago and my parents, their parents are still living a life Where there's not enough money, there's always some scarcity. So uh, you have to really work hard to earn money. So it's all about earning money. But I see in today's generation that they do want to have fun. They do want to love what they do. And that's what I'm also supporting as well. But I also, at the same time, we we try to be respectful for our own parents because they made a lot of sacrifice for us to have a choice. You know, sacrifice is a big word uh, in uh, Asian culture. So yeah, I understand their point of view, but you know, it's like a very challenging discussion between the two generations.
0: Yeah. And it's something we see, we hear about more and more. So it is amazing when, I think again, in terms of Vietnam's development, that creative scene is developing as well and has been held back. Obviously monetarily, economically held back, like you really need to have a and then a growing economy so people have the money to be creative like when you creativity what is like at the peak of kind of maslow's hierarchy of needs right like so you need to make sure you have shelter and food and, and everything else is taken care of before you can even think about being creative but that's another exciting part of vietnam now is i think we're starting to see now because those lower needs are being taken care of for, for the majority of the population obviously not everyone but the majority of the population that will now start to see more creativity, whether it's music or anything like, so so this is now where, where you're coming into as well. So tell us then about your journey into creativity and how you as a creator see yourself and how have you made that journey from, so what was your master's degree and how have you taken that and now going down a more creative path
1: well my original background is not so creative it's in business but also i have marketing as well so marketing is a bit more creative and i think creativity was for a long time wasn't properly defined for myself like what creativity is about i always thought like you have to be a painter a picasso doing some music or to actually call yourself a creator and also.
0: Also, in the... I thought even myself sorry just to quickly interrupt but i never thought of myself as being creative because i couldn't draw you know i couldn't paint I, I don't write music so i'm like yeah i mean i'm just not creative and then it's only been over the last years starting to do podcasts starting to do comedy that then i'm like oh that's like a creative endeavor like you're creating something as well you and i'm kind of similar to you i just thought if you to be creative, you had to be a, p- a painter or a designer or a musician or something. So sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I wanted to add that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and so many people have that misconception about creativity. And I live with that misconception like <laughs> until I was, until now, until uh, I was 29, because also uh, I think other Asian people can relate to that as that uh, creativity was not something that was encouraged. For me, like I was more, my parents always gave me a book about IQ tests and logic books and math was top priority. And yeah, all the rest, like literature and stuff like that, like it's fine. You just study because you have to. But math was the most important subject. And that's something I always have to study. I went to after classes even, and I never really found myself in math. And uh, I always felt like, oh, I'm I'm not getting not good at really anything. And by the time I quit my job, started to browse through life, and then finding my own way, like understanding what my purpose is, what I really like to do, what I what really brings me joy, I learned more about creativity. It's basically anything that you create from your heart as simple as that. And it doesn't have to be a painting or a whole music piece. It can be as simple as a podcast, an article that you write or any ideas that you share on Twitter or somewhere on other channels. Uh, So then I realized I am creative. Wait a minute. (laughs) And that realization change everything because once I open that door of creativity so many other doors started to open up because it's all really about like how you see the world how you can mix things up in your own interpretation and express your ideas and thoughts that's creativity and it doesn't matter
0: what's the mean and I think you experience the same <laughs> And did that tie in at the same time as coming back to Vietnam or did that influence that decision?
1: I mean, I didn't know that I'm going to be a creator, to be honest, when I came back to Vietnam. I just only knew that I want to do something different. Like working for a company was fine. I had a good time. I had great colleagues. I developed a lot professionally, but I felt like I want to do something that I truly, truly love. And it makes an impact as well at the same time. So, when I came to Vietnam, I was just really looking for, let's say, a purpose in my life. And when I started to coach last year, July, that's when everything just started to expand. Because through coaching, I realized it's, it's actually my passion, it's actually my talent to coach someone. But through coaching, I also have opened up a creative chakra in myself, let's call it that way, because through coaching, I realized I I love to help people. I love to help people open up their perspective about life in any aspects. And I started to find ways to to do that. So my purpose is, is really to help people achieve their full potential and coaching is only one part of it. But then... It also makes me think like how what kind of other ways I can find to educate people or help them. And I started to write regularly and I'm still evolving in my writing practice. And I just love it, how much it enrich my creativity, the whole writing process. Like now at the moment, I just do uh, blog articles, social media posts, but I want to expand it even further. And also like starting to do a podcast with Tracy, it also helped me to to think life from a different perspective. And it's also kind of a creative process as well, because you just think of the, the impact that you want to make. And then the interview, you just don't know how it's going to end up, but you just learn how to flow with the other person. And I feel like it's also requires creativity in itself so yeah i'm also doing workshops and it also requires me to think any kind of content creation is really requires creativity and i realize how much it energizes me how much alive i feel anytime i create and that's why i as a coach as well i encourage everybody just to create because the moment that you create That's when you start to shift your mindset as well, because when you create, you create something new and something that is truly you. And that's the moment when you are really in the present moment in your life, when you create something. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really love about it. I don't know how, how you, how is your experience uh, with creation, Neil? so far
0: well my next question was going to be what what are the challenges of it and that's for me is it's probably it's it brings more challenges than than ever than than having you know a a normal well but i guess before i was doing anything creative i guess life was probably simpler maybe because you're not having to think and you have to deal with those i felt like since since and I hate I hate that as well begin like I hate that phrase being a creative or being a creator because it was something I never imagined. And then, you know, as I kind of mentioned, then you realize, like, oh wow, okay, I'm actually creating stuff. So that means I'm a creator, I guess. Definitely gives more challenges, I think, since since I started doing that. So what because that's what we talked about at the beginning. So what would you say then have been some of those challenges that you faced as a creator?
1: I think it's staying in balance because you can only create if you have that capacity in your mind to to really think in a different perspective connect your thoughts and I remember last uh, end of last year I, I just create I was creating a lot I pushed myself really hard and I did have a creative burnout in December and that was horrible I couldn't think of any thoughts like really I wanted to do something and nothing came out and I think that's the worst moment of any creator when you cannot create because you don't have the mental capacity for it so the challenge for me is really keeping myself balanced in a way that nurture my creativity like all the time so I, it does it also means that when I feel tired I just take a rest actively. I know I have to know the moment I have to stop and not to push further. Because with that, I also help my creativity. The moment I have to create, it becomes more like a flow. So when I'm in the right state, the thought just like flowing out naturally. It's like without any control. And that's what I want to achieve every time that I create. But it, and yeah, the challenging part is really to, to balance yourself so much to create that flow every day. So that's, that would be the biggest challenge, I think,
0: for any yeah, no, creator. And I think these last two years have obviously been especially challenging. And I think that ties back in at something I remember discussing with maybe in person or on the podcast. Time back into those Maslow's hierarchy of need, the last couple of years have been so challenging for so many reasons for everyone. And many of the, many of the times you are just trying to make sure that you have, it sounds dramatic to make sure you have food and shelter, but these two years, the last two years have been so hard that sometimes you are just really making sure that, you know, are, are my, are my basic needs being taken care of. So I've found that then to, to have that flow, like you said, or to have that that rest to, to allow creativity. It has been really difficult, even sometimes, to get to podcast interviews. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know to so talk to someone. To me, it is emotionally draining to, to make these episodes, which for some people might be like, How is it emotionally draining? But it, it is, you've got to take time to be like, Okay, I'm going to sit down and we're going to emotionally connect right now to bring this episode out. That, that takes a lot. And then in terms of comedy, yeah, I mean, if you're just trying to make sure that your basic needs of life are being fulfilled you're not really feeling it because i even remember when i was was a, when i was in government quarantine two years ago and so many people would say oh well you know you'll get good comedy from it and i was like fuck off fuck them want to think about comedy right now like, I'm, this is not a funny situation but then maybe weeks or months later then you think of i thought of like a joke or two from that situation so it would maybe come i've recently just finished another period of home isolation after a, a bout of covid and the same thing again. People are like, Oh well, you you get some good comedy for it and I'm like, Fuck off, this is not funny right now. Like I'm not having a funny time. But again, I'm sure when I'm in a, maybe more of a restful phase, like you said, or more of a flow, a joke will come from it and you'll be able to take you'll be able to laugh about it. But uh, it's not, not the at the time. So yeah, there's definitely like the challenges the challenges of that as well. So- we're going to move on to the final questions that I ask everyone at the end of, of a season or at the end of every episode. And then we'll So first question is, if you could travel anywhere in Vietnam for a week, where would you go and why? I would go
1: to either to Sapa or Dalat because that's where the air is the freshest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love mountains.
0: Good answer. You could do a week there, you think? Definitely. Or more. (laughs) Or more, eh? right? Now, tourism is coming back sooner rather than later. Finally to Vietnam. We've been food to the world for two years. What advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam for the first time? Be open-minded. Number one. (laughs) Right. That is the most common answer, I think:
1: <laughs> Open to any possibility. And number two, don't plan too much. No, Because you have to experience the, the beauty of Vietnam when you are spontaneous. Of course, something certain things have to look. You have to look up before, <laughs> but when you travel. Just go with the flow.
0: And then what advice would you give to someone thinking about moving to Vietnam?
1: Again, be (laughs) open-minded and uh, be very adaptable (laughs) and enjoy whatever quirky things coming up in Vietnam.
0: (laughs) Enjoy the quirky things. That is good advice.
1: (laughs) And if you embrace that. It's going to be a really fun place.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, what do you think is the difference between an expat and an immigrant? Ah,
1: oh, the million dollar question. <laughs> well, expat is just a white privilege. Sorry, it's as simple as that. <laughs>
0: Well, so that's why I don't think I disagree with that. And that's partly why I've put this question in, because it does come up a lot lately. I'm already, I shared my views on this earlier. I mean, I think at a simple terms as an expat, is just someone who goes somewhere for a short time to work. And an immigrant is somewhere who, who goes to live in another country. It just so happens that most immigrants are maybe non-white. There's not many, there's not much of a white immigration to, to another country. And I think the, the world has definitely been like demonized and things like that. But I think that is the main difference between an expat and an immigrant.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a fine line, I guess. I mean, these days, everybody call themselves expats, even if they live long term in a country. Although, you know, only those contract professionals could be, call themselves uh, expats if they stay for three months, six months only in a specific country. But we already don't think about it. Everybody's expats who are
0: not local, basically. But see, so this is where I think the difference is though, because so I've been here six years, but I'm still an expat because I can't get like a long term visa to live here. So I'm, I'm never going to be an immigrant. You know what I mean? Whereas you, people can move to Australia or be on New Zealand and they can move with the intention of living there forever. Therefore they would be an immigrant. Like my sister lives in Australia. And she moved there with the intention of living there forever. She immigrated to Australia. So she's an immigrant. She's never been an expat. She's never called herself an expat. So that that's where I see uh, as a difference um, between an expat and an immigrant.
1: Yeah, I don't think about it too much, uh, to be honest with you. I call myself usually an expat because so far I, I never think of like, let's say if I was in the Netherlands, I never really thought that I'm going to stay here forever. And when I, in Vietnam, I also don't think that I'm going to stay here forever.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that, that to me is the, the difference. And that's when, uh, people say like, oh, like you've just said that all, oh, everyone's an expat, well, yeah, because we are all expats because nobody has immigrated here again, but because there's no pathway to immigration either, which is a, which hopefully will change one day. But that's something that, uh, does, does make a big difference. And then last question, one of my favorite questions I've ever thought of: If Vietnam was a person, how would you describe them? Uh,
1: She would be a very gentle but cool, outgoing lady. Um, She knows how to hassle, get her way, get what she wants, and have a fun life enjoy life to the fullest but still respecting the ancestors
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome though there's a vivid description you've got me like picturing someone in my head and be like yeah that's Vietnam that's cool that's awesome (laughs) great morning thank you so so much um thank you for having me on your podcast thank you for coming on mine um share with people where can they Find more about you, where can they find out about your coaching um, and then we will put the links in the show notes so people can follow them and find you
1: yeah i'm uh you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or just go to my website, subscribe to my newsletter if you want to hear more uh from me, but I love to connect with any channel that someone finds comfortable. It's always nice for me to hear from others like uh, yeah. Learn about other people's life. That's something I love.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, one question we didn't cover so that people are going to have to contact you. We didn't talk about how to find meaning in whatever we do. So if we, if you want to find the answer to that, then follow Monique because that is something that she talks about a lot.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Monique. Have an amazing day. Thank you so much, Neil. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bikes. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to Lewis Wright who made the 7 Million Bikes music and continues to support us in every way. Also to our audio engineer, Luke Digweed, for making sure each episode sounds amazing for you. Also, a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community. Thank you so much. It's amazing to get to know you guys. It's amazing to see how much we're growing, and I look forward to seeing you at our next event. You can join the community today. The link is in the description of the show. You'll get free tickets to 7 Million Bikes events, episodes before anyone else, and extra special bonus content only for you, and invites to special member-only events. You will also obviously be providing massive support so that we can keep sharing people's stories with you on a Vietnam podcast. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember, we have seven seasons of stories to share with you. So check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too, so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers!